At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. Phosphate, the lifeblood of Florida's fertilizer industry, is gradually being mined out in the region where Polk, Hillsborough, Manatee, and Hardy counties meet. Now, phosphate miners are coveting land to the south, sparking fears in an area that is a regional source of drinking water. Mosaic, the largest producer of fertilizer in the nation, wants to dig for phosphate in DeSoto County. It would be the first such mine in the mostly rural county and would dwarf its county seat, Arcadia. During a recent visit to the area, I came across Romy Davis. He's a caretaker for a ranch that straddles Horse Creek. It's considered one of the purest waterways in the state and flows into the Peace River, which supplies drinking water for hundreds of thousands of people. I asked Davis about mining to the north in Polk and Hardy, and if he thinks this land would remain pristine. Baloney. <laughs> well, go look. Have they done it yet? They've been doing it since back in the 60s. Go look at it up there. Show me one place that they make look like this. Show me one. So you think all this could be probably lost forever? Well, it's got, hell yeah, it's got to be. A few miles away, Brooks Armstrong talked about how he's trying to rally opposition to the new mine. He helped found people for protecting Peace River when Mosaic first proposed rezoning 18,000 acres of land it owns for mining. That got rejected by DeSoto County Commissioners in 2018, but Mosaic is forging ahead with the plan. Armstrong has attended several local workshops Mosaic has participated in. There, company officials have said they're good stewards of the environment, but Armstrong isn't buying it. But then you see an incident happen, you know, and they happen regularly where an accident or a spill, FDEP didn't do their job or they don't have enough teeth. And where does that leave these people? Armstrong talked about spills and leaks in mines that have happened elsewhere. That includes the breach at Piney Point in Manatee County, where earlier this year hundreds of thousands of gallons of polluted water poured into Tampa Bay. We'll talk more about those issues with Jacqueline Lopez, the Florida Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. Welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you for having me. So the phosphate industry, which has for over a century been concentrated in Bone Valley, the Bone Valley area of Central Florida, mostly in Polk County and Hardy County, has been migrating south as the phosphate deposits are exhausted in the northern part of Bone Valley. They uh, have expanded their operations in eastern Manatee County at the Wingate Mine and in Hardy County right next door, and recently proposed a mine, the first one in DeSoto County just to the south with Arcadia as its county seat. Do you see any dangers inherent with this move south, and do you think that this expansion is, is needed? Phosphate mining has already left an incredible toxic legacy in Florida. We've already lost over 400,000 acres of land in the central Florida region. And this is really significant in the context of 
not just biodiversity and habitat loss, which is something the Center for Biological Diversity cares very deeply about, but also the loss of wetlands, which provide tremendous ecosystem services, you know, cleaning water before it reaches our near shore areas. And uh, the, the movement of large scale phosphate mining south continues to carry that concern of the vast ecosystem destruction inherent to the activity. Phosphate mining is strip mining. It requires very large drag lines or excavators that scoop out massive chunks of earth at a time and remove the the sand and the clay and the minerals beneath. And and the process doesn't stop there. The minerals, the, the phosphate, the rock itself is then taken to a nearby fertilizer facility where sulfuric acid is applied and that phosphoric acid, that saleable product is created. Now, my understanding is that at least 50% of that saleable product is actually exported overseas. It doesn't stay domestically. Um, But what does stay domestically is the waste that's created. So for every one ton of phosphoric acid, five tons of phosphogypsum are created. And as a result, Florida has over a billion tons of phosphogypsum in 25 different stacks. This is the same type of material that is stored at Piney Point um, that, that had that significant breach over Easter weekend that then fueled a red tide, resulted in several thousand tons of dead marine wildlife, a few dozen dead manatees in our Bay Area. This is a, this is a big deal for our region. The, the reason that they're in these stacks is because the Environmental Protection Agency has determined that they present such a significant human health risk that, they, that this material can't be um, dispersed throughout the environment, can't be reused for other purposes as, as a consequence of its radioactivity and as a consequence of its, of its toxicity. And so these stacks are going to be here for the foreseeable future. Well, we'll talk about the gyp stacks in just a minute, but DeSoto County commissioners recently voted to ban gyp stacks, and Mosaic said they had no plans to build them anyway. But there are other dangers inherent with the mining and maybe the impact to nearby springs and, uh, and rivers, especially, that supply a lot of the drinking water to counties to the south, particularly. That's right. The The county did vote to to ban fossil gypsum stacks in, in the community, um, which the industry put no fight up against, which shows you that they had no intention of doing that anyway. So it's somewhat of a symbolic gesture. The phosphate mining itself, there are studies that look at the Peace River watershed, for example, which is in, in the same area, and that show that over years, phosphate mining has impacted surficial aquifers, uh, both because of the um, the digging of the mines themselves, um, but also the intense water use of that mining activity. Additionally, when, when we were talking earlier about what actually happens in phosphate mining, when that material is removed from the earth, it's brought to a beneficiation plant. My understanding is that there would be a new beneficiation plant uh, nearby this mine. And at the beneficiation plant, that sand and the clay and the phosphate rock are chemically separated. The the result of that process is the sand is set aside um, as tailings for filling mines. The rock is taken to a fertilizer plant, but then you have this clay, which becomes swollen with the chemicals in the water. And it's sent back to mines to dewater. So you have about, again, my understanding is 25 to 40 percent of the mined out area is now replaced with clay settling areas which are, are there for perpetuity. Um, they, they sit there, they dewater over time. 
and then you have this and you can't you can't build in them right because of the problem with radon the radon gas right uh yeah so you, you, you can't build on them they're structurally unsound you can't build on on top of the clay itself and there's limited utility in what you can do with it um the industry claims that it can support certain types of agriculture or certain types of pasture but that's certainly especially at that volume you know clearing an area and replacing it 25 to 40 percent of this clay mounds um, certainly is a significant impact to that ecosystem and, and folks that live nearby. We'll take a short break and then continue talking about the move south by Florida's phosphate industry. And thanks to everyone who has helped WUSF during our holiday membership campaign. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. Thanks to everyone who's helping WUSF during our holiday membership campaign. We'll now rejoin our conversation about the future of the phosphate industry with Jacqueline Lopez of the Center for Biological Diversity. Well, I recently talked to Mosaic spokeswoman Jackie Barron, who uh, I invited her to be on the show, and she did mention that we need phosphate fertilizer to help feed a growing world. And the one quote that I got from her recently was, we recognize we are an impactive industry, but we're also a good steward of the environment and bring with us environmental leadership and expertise that few others have. What do you think of that statement? First, the idea that we need fertilizer, the synthetic fertilizer, which is a relatively recent advent. I think there's lots of room for great discussion in this in this space. The majority of the phosphoric acid that Florida produces doesn't stay in the United States. It actually doesn't even stay in Florida. Uh, most of the fertilizer that we use domestically actually goes to corn and soy. And the majority of the corn and soy, we don't even use to feed people. We use it to feed cows and pigs, which some of them we eat, some of them we export. So really, we could parse down what we need fertilizer for and break apart that the meaning of the word need. The second idea that Mosaic is a good steward, I, you know, I'm not going to directly comment on that. I think what I observe is that the fertilizer industry, like many other industries, is oftentimes forced to do what it does through regulation. And regulation, it sounds like such a scary, nasty word, but the truth is in our economy and in the way that we have everything set up, it is necessary to capture these externalities of businesses. The externalities are these things that need to be taken into account when an industry does business, like the pollution emits, um, like the, the threats it poses to the environment or to humans. And so to the extent that companies say they're good stewards, I, I think that a careful examination of what they're actually required to do to mitigate and compensate for the damage that they do is, is warranted. Well, you know, the chip stacks, those giant mountains that store phosphate waste are the, the most vivid example of some of the legacy of phosphate mining. Um, you know, Piney Point was abandoned 20 years ago, uh, so that's why we have a problem there. Here's a quote from Manatee County Administrator Scott Hopes right after the breach was discovered earlier this year. We're down to about 340 million gallons that could breach in totality in a period of, of minutes, and the models for less than an hour are as high of a 20-foot wall of water. So there have been problems, like Scott Hope said, with gypstacks going back 
for years and years, uh, even in the DeSoto County, the Peace River area, uh, in 1971, there were two huge spills, including one that was estimated at a billion gallons that killed every single fish around Arcadia. It was written that Charlotte Harbor turned the color of chocolate milk. But here we have, like you mentioned, 25 of these gyp stacks. There was a move by phosphate companies, including Mosaic, to get approval from the federal EPA to spread that material on roadbeds. But your group opposed that. Tell me why and what is the alternative to just them sitting there forever? About 30 years ago, the Environmental Protection Agency looked at radioactive waste and specifically radioactive waste from phosphogypsum. So the waste product uh, created through fertilizer production. And even then, 30 years ago, they considered putting the, the utility of putting and the safety of putting phosphogypsum in roads. So about half of the content of road material could be phosphogypsum. And the result of that analysis was that it would result in fatal cancer of, at an acceptable, unacceptable level. So right now, the waste is kept in stacks because of the radon, because of the direct gamma, because of the toxicity, and because it keeps that risk at less than 3 in 10,000 fatal cases of cancer a year. And so that was the number that EPA said at that time. And when it looked at allowing phosphogypsum to be dispersed throughout the environment in the form of road construction, it determined that that risk jumped, that it, that it reached an un, unacceptable level. Um, it used a variety of scenarios that it looked at in determining the safety, but ultimately found that it was safer to have it in stacks because at least you know where it is. Now, under the Trump administration, toward the end of the Trump administration, in fact, about two weeks before the presidential election, the EPA authorized the use of phosphogypsum in road construction. And the Center for Biological Diversity, along with a large number of other organizations, labor union, health organizations, environmental organizations that oppose that. And we opposed it because of the same reason that the EPA originally prohibited it 30 years ago. And the Biden administration's EPA revisited that decision and agreed, agreed to reverse the Trump administration's decision there. As for what to be done with the phosphogypsum that's remaining, I mean, that's going to be a very challenging issue. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be more of a challenging issue for the communities that are saddled with that than the industry itself, which I presume will move on to, to the next mine or the next venture. And so, as we know, there's about, there's 25 in Florida, but there's 70 chip stacks throughout the United States. And many of these chip stacks are situated in communities of color and in low wealth communities, communities that have traditionally um, struggled to have access to political power. And I'm very concerned for those communities that are going to be sitting next to these gyp stacks for the next hundreds and thousands of years. Well, maybe we're just waiting for technology to come to the rescue so we don't have to wait these hundreds and thousands of years. And maybe that's the only way we can take care of these gyp stacks. Some gyp stacks that have been closed, which means that they're no longer active, they aren't accepting new material, and that certain measures have been taken to reduce the risk of harm, including draining the ponds that sit on top of them, um, capping them so they don't fill up with water again, allowing vegetation to grow on them, 
and then just leaving them alone, which is right now the exit strategy for, for all of these phosphogypsum stacks. I don't know that we any of us can predict what will happen if we have a Category 5 hurricane that comes through, or as predicted sea level rise starts to encroach in the Tampa Bay area, where we have two phosphogypsum stacks, actually three, you know, we have Piney Point, and then there's two phosphogypsum stacks at Riverview straddling US-41. Um, the one that's technically closed or, or inactive is already at the high water mark. And so if we have a big storm or with sea level rise, you know, Florida is going to be in trouble, as is Louisiana. They have a massive stack right on the Mississippi. So the first thing we should do is stop making more phosphogypsum. And, and then we can focus our efforts on what's going to be the best for the communities, not the industry, but the communities that need to live next to these things. Jacqueline Lopez is the Florida Director for the Center for Biological Diversity. Thank you so much for your insight, and thanks for being on Florida Matters. Thank you very much. That's it for today's show. Our thanks to Jacqueline Lopez and everyone who's helped us during our holiday membership campaign. And thanks to our producer, Denora Prevost. I'm Steve Newborn. We'll catch you next week on our next edition of Florida Matters.